Welcome to another edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Today we have Carlos Colazzo here in studio, and we're going to talk some uh, preseason All-Americans, Carlos. Yes, sir. Excited for it. This is going to be fun. Yeah, so a week ago now, the uh, Baseball America preseason All-America teams were released online. Apologies for our lateness with this. Uh, The college preview issue was still being produced last week. Uh, It was taking up a fair amount of my time. (laughs) So the podcast got moved to the back burner, and we're back now this week, though. Uh, So if you haven't seen our preseason All-America teams, or if you need a refresher, because it's been a few days, uh, you can head over to BaseballAmerica.com and check them out there. And the preview issue, like I mentioned, we wrapped up last week. And if you're a subscriber, you should be seeing that in your mailbox pretty soon, I would think. Yeah. Uh, so make sure to check that out. It's jam full of college baseball info. This is probably one of the most anticipated magazines for me personally in a long time. This it's going to be a good one. It's an exciting one. It's a big one. And I think you're really going to enjoy it. So um, look forward to to that showing up in your inbox, uh, or sorry, your mailbox. We haven't gone full digital yet, Teddy, <laughs> not just yet. <laughs> I mean, I guess, though, we do have the digital option. Yes. Uh, so you can also get it in your inbox. Whatever but, box you want it in. Yes, however however you want want that, want that to get that information. <laughs> There's plenty of college preview information at Baseball America, whether it's in the magazine or online at BaseballAmerica.com. So today, we're the, though, we're going to focus on the preseason All-America team. And as always, our preseason All-America team was voted on by Major League Scouting Directors. We've been doing it this way for almost 40 years now. The Scouting Directors, uh, we're so appreciative of them taking their time to vote on it. Uh, We had about half the teams participate this year. So that gives us a pretty solid cross-section of what the industry is thinking about these players. And uh, I really love the way that we do our preseason Mm All-America team because it's a way to, to look forward that so often it, it's kind of weird the preseason All-America teams wind up looking back a lot at yeah. what happened, uh, but that's kind of what they often are. And this gives us um, you know, some insights into what these players are expected to do from people whose jobs it is to watch them do their thing. So, you know, Carlos, I know, you know the high school teams selected this way, and mm-hmm. I, I just feel like it, it gives us a, you know, it's a little different, and yeah. I think it's it's a fun exercise. I enjoy seeing how it comes together every year. Yeah, I enjoyed it as well. And I mean, my main job here is to cover the draft, obviously, and this will tend to skew the team a little more towards the draft eligible players, obviously. But that's more fun for me. I like that. And also, I think it's it's something where you don't just look at the numbers and kind of see the results, as you said from last year. Who put up the best numbers? It's not a best numbers team. Uh, it's a team that's very much decided on. Uh, by how teams evaluate the talent of these players, how good are they actually, even if they maybe didn't have uh, the most sparkling resume statistically. Uh, And so that's why you'll see a number of these starting pitchers, even on the first team, that have maybe the ERAs a little higher than you've seen in the past, maybe the innings a little lower than you've seen. I'm sure we'll talk about that. Um, But it always is fantastic to kind of see how the industry evaluates these players before the season. And maybe there's a a few players here or there that surprise you uh, that you can dig in a little bit more on throughout the season. But, um, yeah, it's definitely fun to see where they come down on all these guys. And as Teddy already mentioned, you can see the full list, first, second, and third team on the website now. So, What I also like um, is that history has shown that this is a little bit of a predictor Mm -hmm. of the first round and also of on-field success, that if you – are a team that can put together a lot of All-Americans, and the team didn't really work out like that this year. There were 
both Stanford and Arkansas had three preseason All-Americans, and that, that was the most in the country. Mm-hmm. In the past, we've seen you know, Florida had four a year ago, and they you know go into the tournament as the preseason number one. Yeah. And Louisville and Florida had done that a couple years before. We don't I don't know if Stanford and Arkansas quite have that, that same nucleus, but mm-hmm. maybe they do, and maybe the, that'll portend some on-field success. But also, a year ago's preseason All-America team produced 13 first-round draft picks, including the first five overall. Yep. So what this does also is gives everyone a little bit of a preview of how the, the draft is going to shake out in June. Yeah, no doubt. Let's dive into this team. Carlos, did anything stand out to you when we, uh, when we got these All-America teams in? Um, I say the specific results, I don't know if there were any super surprising players on the first team, but as we go a little deeper... I think when you look at some kind of demographic trends, maybe not trends, we're just dealing with a smaller group of players here, but there is a real lack of lockdown, no doubt, center fielders, I think, on this list, which is maybe a little bit different from years past. Um, the catching is really strong from the first team all the way through the third team with an underclassman there. Um, the, and then the pitching, uh, I know we'll talk about this as well, but just the, the pitching this year, and we've talked about it over and over and over again as we've had draft podcasts, as we've talked about what's gone on over the summer, there's just a lot of question marks with a lot of pitchers on these lists, whether that's starter reliever questions, whether that's injury questions, whether that's command questions. I feel like you can go down this list and there are very few pitchers who have the track record as a starter at a high level like the Brady Singers of the world did last year. Um, you look at the first team starting pitchers, you have Tyler Dyson who really only has half a year as a, a full-time starter. He battled some injury issues. Then you have Nicola Dolo, who has actually handled the most innings in a starting role of this team. He's battled some performance issues, hasn't missed as many bats as people expected. Then you look at Graham Stinson, who's maybe the opposite of that. He's got arguably the best pure stuff, has missed more bats than any player we're going to talk about here, uh, but doesn't really have any starting track record to speak of. He's, he's been here and there in a starting role, but hasn't worked deep into games. Then you look at Zach Thompson, who rounds out the four starting pitchers on the first team, uh, and he's battled some injury issues as well as some really serious command issues that that they're going to all have to work through this year. So I think that's the biggest question mark for me moving forward. Is just that's what's going to be most interesting to to see this season is how these guys uh, kind of handle the workload because they are going to be the, they are the guys that we have ranked highest uh, in the class as far as starting pitchers now, and these are the players. Uh, that teams have identified as the most talented in the country. So for these teams to be able to make picks uh, and for these players to be able to perform, they're going to have to answer a lot of questions, and it'll be fun to see how they work those out. But anything that I didn't mention uh, stick out to you on these Well, lists? I think the, the center field thing is, a, is an interesting thing. Mm-hmm. Seven of the nine outfielders here are corner outfielders. Yeah. And Cameron Misner, one of the center fielders, started his career at Missouri as a first baseman, and that really wasn't any fault of his mm-hmm. that was more like the way the team fit together but yeah. you know that it is very strange to see so many corner outfielders being voted in we don't have left field center field right field we just ask for three outfielders exactly. and a lot of times that leads itself to center fielders uh-huh. and that's not the case in this year and, and so that that's an interesting thing and then the one of the other things that that I thought was interesting. It's not a surprise that Logan Davidson is the the shortstop on the first team, mm-hmm. but any of these three shortstops that made it, Davidson, Bryson Stott, or Will Wilson, mm-hmm. could have made the first team, and yeah. um, that would not have been a surprise. So just seeing how that all fit together, you know, again, maybe surprise is the wrong word for it, but I thought that was an interesting 
way just just to see all the votes coming in. Mm -hmm. That doesn't even account for um, you know guys like Will Holland or Braden Shoemake or Casey Martin, all of whom would have made a ton of sense being on here. Yeah, and you know so there. There's I imagine just, if you had just a middle infield slot yes. rather than shortstop and second base, you would see a, a few different names. And for sure, probably no, none of these second basemen would be up here, but. So, I mean, yeah, just the way that all mm -hmm. shakes out is interesting. And then one other thing, kind of going along with the starting pitching, is that this might not surprise people that have really been focused on college baseball, but for the more casual uh, person that's checking back in after the summer, Elon has two starting pitchers yeah. here, Kyle Burnovich and, and George Kirby. And, you know, Burnovich pitched for USA last year. George Kirby had a nice summer on the Cape. They both had really big numbers last year. Brnovich mm -hmm. finished like fourth in the country in strikeouts a year ago. But still, Elon is a school that is not known for producing premium draft prospects. Uh, they have a big leaguer right now, but no one has been drafted as high as these guys might be drafted in a long time. Mm -hmm. So for the casual college baseball fan that's looking at the preseason All-America list and seeing two Elon pitchers yeah. among the, the 12 starting pitchers that we list here, that that probably comes as a little bit of a surprise, but it, it'll be interesting to see what they, they can do this year. Yeah, and I think it's also fun to see kind of how they wound up on the team with Kyle Brnovich on the third team, George Kirby on the second team. Again, if you just look at their statistical resumes, you would imagine those would be flipped, but when you're kind of looking at these players through the lens of a scouting director, I think Kirby is one of the more fascinating arms on this list when you go through all three of the teams, because when you look at the combination of his stuff, his track record, uh, his starter traits. I feel like he's a guy who, if he kind of puts together another solid season and throws and is fully healthy, I mean, he's a guy who might shoot up uh, and end up being a, a mid-first-round pick when all is said and done, if things go well for him. He's kind of that one guy that has a complete package. Uh, there aren't a lot of red flags when you look at just his tools, uh, his arm action, his delivery. I've heard a lot of scouts that are really excited about just how he kind of gets gets everything together on the mound and delivers to the plate very clean from him. Um, and then you look at Brnovich and he has a very unorthodox arm action despite all the strikeouts that he's racked up. And maybe uh, the arm action helps him rack up some of those strikeouts as well. But it, you kind of get, you kind of see how these players um, spread out through tiers through that lens here as well, which is, is pretty fascinating. I think the, you know, we mentioned how Brnovich's third team, Kirby's second team, I will say that the voting was very tight uh, oh, come on, come on, Teddy. Don't ruin my whole point. <laughs> there were, they, but I, the, Kirby is by far the, you know, if you go look at the Baseball America Top 200 draft prospects, mm -hmm. Kirby's listed, I think, 50 spots higher than Burnovich. It's not close in terms of that. But yeah, George Kirby we have right now ranked number 38, and then Burnovich. It's more than that. It's like 70 then. Cause then Burnovich, Burnovich we have. Outside the 100. At number 105. Yeah, so there's there's a huge disparity in terms of how they're viewed as draft prospects, but it was tight, and I think that, you know, Yes, the by by doing the voting the way we do it with the scouting directors that mm -hmm. leads us towards draft prospects. But I think that is showing either that a our list is wrong, which I don't think it is, or b they are some of them are looking at numbers and are valuing performance mm -hmm. and, and are looking at this in um, maybe a little more traditional preseason All America yeah. way, which is totally cool too. We don't give them a whole lot of guidelines uh, in terms of this. We we kind of just ask them to consider performance and draft. Um, you know, status and kind of merge that together and how they get to their votes is how they get there. And mm -hmm. it wound up that those two were very tight. And I think that is a nod just to how good Kyle Burnovich has been mm -hmm. at the collegiate level. And, um, you know, again, George Kirby's no slouch. He struck out almost 100 batters himself last yeah. season. Uh, so it's going to be fun to see how those, uh, 
how those two play out there uh, at Elon this season, which is gunning for uh, an NCAA tournament appearance, mm -hmm. uh, which is not something that, that we often say about the Phoenix. Um, now, we, I, I mentioned here that Kirby and Brnovich, it was a, it was a close decision. Well, mm -hmm. let's talk about three players that it was not a close decision at all. There were three unanimous All-Americans. They are catcher Adley Rutschman from Oregon State, which should surprise exactly no one. <laughs> He's the consensus number one uh, prospect in the, in the draft. He was the College World Series most outstanding player last year. He hit 400. He's a catcher. Um, then we have third baseman Josh Young, who mm -hmm. had an outstanding year last year at Texas Tech. And Graham Stinson, the left-hander from Duke. And let's start with Stinson. We've, we've yeah. talked about some pitching before, and that one's a little strange. We, we can, I can say, yes, Adley, of course he was, uh, consens mm -hmm. or he was unanimous. And Josh Young makes a lot of sense. Graham Stinson is a little bit surprising, but he is the top-ranked pitcher in this draft class. Yeah, we have him inside the top ten right now. He's the only college college pitcher that's in the top 10 uh, when you look at draft rankings to this point. And I think it really is just a testament to the pure stuff that Graham Stinson has. I mean, he's got a plus fastball, plus plus slider, arguably the best breaking ball in the class. I guess now we can talk about Carter Stewart's kind of at I mean, that's, the same That's caliber. an interesting uh, debate, him versus Carter exactly, Stewart. Exactly, yeah. I would, And I've seen them both, and they're both fantastic. Um, but yeah, I guess this is just the confidence that uh, seeing that swing and miss stuff. I mean, no one has – he struck out 14 batters per nine over his entire college career, his freshman year and his sophomore year, with some time as a starter. So it's just really impressive, pure stuff. And, and he's a guy who, again, if he puts it together and starts and, and kind of works deep into games this year, he's going to fly off this board come June. Uh, and he's going to be a fantastic piece for the Duke Blue Devils, obviously. But, no, I don't know if I was as shocked – uh, that Graham Stinson was unanimous because you're picking four starters. Right. Um, it would be tough considering this class maybe to not put him on there, so I can kind of see it. One of the more surprising ones to me is a guy who wasn't unanimous, and we can talk about him later. Um, and, but the other two, I think that makes sense as well if you want to either touch on Stinson or jump on to Yeah, I mean, I, I think that, you know, we, we've said a lot about Adley Rutschman. Yeah. We continue to say a lot about Adley Rutschman. I, I, I think that we have a sense of what yeah. Adley Rutschman is. And For Rutschman, I'll just say that it is impressive that he is unanimous considering the guy behind him is Shea Langoliers, yes. who is also very highly thought of. So the fact that Rutschman, despite having a pretty solid competitor in Shea Langoliers with Baylor, right behind him was still unanimous. It's it just kind of telling how impressive Adley Rushman is to every team. And I think that that's an interesting thing because at third base, the class behind Yun isn't as good. Yes. Austin Shenton at, at Florida International had a huge cape, but he's a little, and he's the second team. That, that's who Yun beat out for all these votes, but it's not quite the same deal. And then uh, behind Shenton, it was Nick Quintana who just squeezed out Florida State third baseman Drew Mendoza there. And so it's the class is a little muddled behind Josh Young, but that shouldn't take anything away from Josh Young, mm -hmm. who I really like a lot, as po listeners of, to this podcast will know. He really does just about everything. He, he almost hit 400 last year. It was like 396, I want to say. He hits for power. He plays pretty good defense over at third base. I know Carlos disagrees with that a little bit. <laughs> yeah, if you're the high guy on Josh Young, I'm probably the low guy on Josh <laughs> Young at this point. Just because, and, and you've seen him more than I have. I saw him just over the summer with USA. Uh, I didn't think he was that great defensively. I think he has a strong arm. I'm a little worried about his his lateral mobility. And I know there are a few teams that I've talked to that share some of those concerns. But then I've also got coaches and other evaluators who think he's a plus defender at third base. So 
I think there's not much consensus on his defensive ability. Offensively, however, he's he put breaks. up very <laughs> impressive numbers. He hit 392, 491, 639 last year with 12 home runs, 39 walks to 32 strikeouts. Uh, that's very impressive. <laughs> yeah, so I, I can't argue with that. I mean, in in Jan and Rutschman, you have two clear-cut Player of the Year candidates who I think a lot of people could have anticipated coming into the year. Mm -hmm. Stinson is going to make a play to get into that mix as well, I think, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how he handles that starting role. Uh, now, Carlos, you mentioned there was a player that you were surprised was yeah. not unanimous. Yeah, so you sent out the list of the unanimous guys, and I was just kind of looking over, and I saw the first three, and I was like, oh, not too surprising. And then I was wondering where Andrew Vaughn's name was. The, I, the I assumed, Golden Spikes winner. Exactly. I assumed he would be there, first base, not typically like a a huge position, especially when you think of a guy like Vaughn. But I think when you look at the second and third team, specifically the second team, it, it is just telling how impressive Arizona State sophomore Spencer, Spencer Torkelson is. Uh, the numbers that he's put up there, 25 home runs last year. Um, Andrew Vaughn is arguably the best hitter in the entire country. And the fact that he wasn't unanimous at first base, I feel like is more telling of just Spencer Torgelson's ability than any knock on Andrew Vaughn because there really is none for a first baseman uh, like Vaughn who has hit the way he's hit over his first two years at Cal. I will say it was very close to being unanimous yeah. for Vaughn. But uh, you know, Torkelson is a guy that next year is probably going to be a unanimous guy. Mm -hmm. That's a guy that, despite having some positional limitations, he's tried to. He worked in the outfield a lot on the Cape over the summer, uh, but to this point, he's just been a first baseman in college. And uh, despite that, he's he's very well thought of on the early 2020 board. Uh, so that'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see how Vaughn plays out this year. He also has serious positional versa um, limitations, not mm -hmm. versatility. But he hit 426 with 23 jacks last year. So that's going to – and I think a lot of people walked away from the college national team thinking that was the best hitter on the team. And so I, th there's just a lot of a lot to work through for mm -hmm. these teams there. But there are a lot – I, I don't want to dwell too much on first base, but third team, you know, you have Logan Wyatt, mm -hmm. who is still kind of waiting for some power, but it's just a, a great pure hitter. Tremendous Mike, strike zone discipline. Michael Toglia from UCLA just got edged out, and, mm -hmm. and Spencer Brickhouse and Andrew Doshback at ECU and Stanford, respectively, barely got any love. But yeah. those two guys in a normal year could easily have, have made the third team or the second team. Either. You know what else is fascinating with this conversation, too? It didn't actually happen, but if Michael Bush, if yeah. he's playing first base this year and UNC's not trotting him out into left field, then you've got another interesting first baseman thrown into this argument. I would imagine he gets on the second or third team as well. I don't know. Do you think he would be if he's first base? We're I mean, going I, the I think so. World here, Michael but. Bush is a first team outfielder. I don't think he beats Vaughn for first no, base. No, I don't think that. But I'd be interested to see how him versus Torkelson would have stacked mm -hmm. up. And I think that I was a little. He also, if we're talking about surprises, who wasn't unanimous? I was a little surprised he wasn't unanimous. I think some of that was him being in the outfield. Mm -hmm. There's a little bit of trepidation because he's never played left field. I actually got to saw a, a UNC scrimmage, got to see, excuse me, a UNC scrimmage the other day, Bush played left field. He had one fairly routine ball hit to him in, uh, in foul territory, and he looked pretty decent getting over to the ball, ran a good route. Uh, I don't think he's the fastest guy in the world, and I'm still curious to see how his arm plays there kind of on a regular basis, but I did get a glimpse of Bush in the outfield, and it was not as bad as I was expecting. So He's a guy that I've heard some people, like, the bat is just going to play, period. Yeah. And if it winds up at first base, like, okay. But he is a guy that some people would want to try in the outfield or maybe at 
third base or, or maybe at second base. Maybe like his, he's a little shorter, so he doesn't mm-hmm. really look like a first baseman to begin with. And there are a lot of people that think he can just work his way into being a at least mm-hmm. fringy defender at one of these other positions, yeah. and that that'll be that'll make. They'll be good enough because he's going to hit yeah. enough to, to cover that up. And yeah, I believe he's listed at 5'10". So. Yeah, I, so that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. That's definitely going to be one of the, the things everyone's watching closely this spring. And it's huge for UNC that he can go run out and try left field at least because it gives them the ability to get another bat in the lineup mm-hmm. because they don't have to uh, confine him to, to first base or DH that, that he can go and yeah. at least play left field. is uh, That's a big asset. Considering the the Carolina has so many arms that they, you know, they want to get as many bats in to support them as they can, and um, his versatility is going to help them do that. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to go into pitching a little bit deeper. Yeah. And speaking of Carolina's pitching, none of whom actually made this, which is a little surprising in itself. But yeah. anyway, the starters on the first team are all talented. They have question marks like we, like you kind of outlined before. College pitching is usually thought of as like the safe spot mm-hmm. in any draft class. Is that still true this year? I just, I don't know. I don't think so. I think this is a more offensive-focused draft class, and I think we're going to see that play itself out. But I, I, when I was kind of looking over this, I wanted to compare this year's first-team pitchers, first-team starting pitchers with last year's, and I was curious to see what I would get. So last year, to refresh everyone's memory, everyone's memory uh, Logan Gilbert, Shane McClanahan, Casey Mize, Brady Singer were all the first-team pitchers, and shockingly, pretty good. <laughs> all, all of those guys went in the first round. Uh, but if you take their freshman and sophomore seasons and you total them all up, uh, that group has 71 total starts, a 3.14 ERA, a 10.47 K per nine, and a 2.93 walk per nine. Um, and when you compare that to this year's group, Tyler Dyson, Nick Lodolo, Graham Stinson, Zach Thompson, I assumed last year's group would blow them out of the water. It actually didn't turn out that way. Um, the ERA was the most was the biggest difference. Uh, this year's group has a 3.98 co- collective ERA, which is quite a bit higher than last year's. But they also have 76 starts, which was shocking to me. Uh, that was the biggest thing. I think part of that is just Lodolo has 30 he's starts the ball every yeah every weekend. Lodolo, the number of starts that he's taken is very impressive and more than anyone from last year's group. Um, this year's group, the strikeout rate is better. The walk rate is a tick better. Those aren't huge. So I don't know, we would have to go down through the second team and third team to do this all to get like a much bigger collective idea of how they compare to the 2018 team. Um, but I do think that when you're just looking at locks to start, this group has much more, much more questions. I think Shane McClanahan was the guy last year you could say, okay, that's big time starter reliever risk. But even McClanahan had more track record starting than some of these guys mm-hmm. we're talking about on the first team list this year. And the only reason he didn't have even more is because he had Tommy John. Exactly. So he, he'd only pitched one year of he college had, ball. He had pitched 15, he had he'd thrown 15 starts, excuse me, his freshman year before he got injured. So, or after he got injured. After, yeah. He, he got injured yes. and then redshirted. Exactly. And had the, had the surgery in the fall, redshirted. But either way, I do think that this year's class is, is not as safe as previous classes. Um, this spring is going to be huge. I mean, if these guys all come out and perform, no one's going to be too worried about it, obviously. Uh, it just depends what happens from here on out. But I think you do have a lot of guys here who either have the stuff, have the projection, have the just the starter traits, delivery. I mean, 
a lot of these guys you can look at and you can like a lot of the things that they do, especially when just looking at some of these first team guys, that if everything goes right, you're not going to be too worried about them. But I had much more conviction in the college starters and just college pitching in general last year. I think that it's tough to compare this group to last year's group just because of how deep that group was on the whole. Um, but I'm curious on what you think of that as well. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that when you, I, I don't have the numbers for the second and third team this year, but even when you just look at them, you know, you see Matt Cantorino, who has posted up most weekends the last two years for Rice, but there's some small delivery concerns there. And George Kirby, we, we've outlined, and Brnovich, we've outlined, but Eric Miller has been super inconsistent at Stanford, huge stuff. Hasn't really been able to, to harness it yet. Hmm. Alec Manoa is a little bit the same story. He at least has had a fair amount of success in the bullpen and is coming off of a great cape. Eric Miller did not have, was just as inconsistent on the cape as he hmm. ever has been at Stanford. And Zach Hess, who you know last year was a Friday night starter but was inconsistent at it and you know returned after being a draft eligible sophomore. He's supposed to be a lot better this year, uh, but he's still you know you're looking for him to. There there is a bit of uh, faith you have to have that he'll make that leap. He did not perform as a starter when you kind of look at the ERA that he's posted yeah, I mean, and the control issues that he had. But he did look good over the summer, like you mentioned. He did. So he's another with, guy. With USA. Yeah. And so and that, that's interesting. Ryan Nelson at Oregon was a closer last year uh, as a two-way player. He He's now not being a two-way player and going into the rotation, what's that going to be like? And Ryan Zephyrjohn at, at Kansas has... Uh, he started more than a lot of these guys have, but he was a reliever early on in his career too. So I, there's just a lot of you know, uncertainty with, mm-hmm. with a lot of these guys. And that's, you know, again, when we're, when we're talking about safety, that, that's not the word that comes to mind with, with this no. demographic this year. And I think that's going to be fascinating how that plays out in the draft because some of these guys, some of these college pitchers are going to cement themselves as first-rounders during the spring, we aren't quite sure exactly who that's going to be, but we know that, I don't know, half a dozen of these guys are probably going to go in the first round or at least the mm-hmm. top 40 picks. And which ones that that make that jump is going to be interesting this spring. And it's going to be critical for some of these college teams this spring that their guy is the one that makes the jump. Like mm-hmm. Florida really needs Tyler Dyson to be peak Tyler Dyson, yeah. not shaky Tyler Dyson. LSU, kind of the same deal with Zach Hess. I mean, that's... Those are both top five teams that are looking for consistent Friday starters out mm-hmm. there. Yeah, and if I asked you last year, who is the pitcher, who is the college pitcher who has a starting track record, who has performed, and who has stuff? Who's the guy that you're going to name? Brady Singer is probably your first guy last I, I mean, year. Singer and Mize are going to be the, the first two. That, and that even if you want to knock Mize and say, who's the guy who, who's been healthy? Yeah. You can knock Mize off that list. You still have Singer to point to as at least a guy who you're fairly confident in going to the year who's going to take the ball every Friday night, hold your innings, and compete against anyone in the country. If I ask you that this year, who's the guy you're saying? Who's the name? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's really tough. I, th- there is no guy like that. I don't know if there is one. We have to make a pick for... Um, College, play, college pitcher of the year mm-hmm. in the preseason uh, issue. And, you know, it's, it was hard because, you know, I, I was looking at a guy like Cantorino, mm-hmm. and, you know, that's a guy that's been proven on Friday nights, but also, you know, he's doing it at Rice. And mm-hmm. Conference USA is good, but it's also not the Big 12 or the SEC. And, you know, you, I wound up taking Stinson, there, there's a little Easter egg for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, well, even I, when I was... He's a guy that, you know, 
I, as you were, you're about to say with the ACC exactly. preview that you did, like, I, how do you balance a guy that really was a reliever mm-hmm. most of last year? Yeah, he finished on a really high note, throwing six shutout innings against Texas Tech in the Super Regional, mm-hmm. and but then he went to USA where he was still mostly just relieving. Yeah, essentially, when over the summer when you're talking about Team USA, you're not you're not really holding up a yeah. lot of innings. But yeah, a guy like CJ Van Eyck is a guy who I was like, oh, should I choose him over Stinson because of what he's done? But even with him, you look at some some of the reliever track record that he has. It's just tough. You have to you have to kind of bank on some of these guys just switching into that role and running with it with no qualms. And you you have to project. You have to just hope that it happens. And and he has easily has the talent to do it, but we just don't know. Yeah. So that's going to be interesting again to, to a thing to watch throughout throughout the spring. Mm-hmm. Another thing to watch is some of these guys are going to break out. Yep. Last year, Jonathan India was a third-team pick at third base. He winds up being the fifth overall pick in the country. Now, uh, to think that anyone's going to have that kind of breakout, I, we don't want to put that on anyone. Mm-hmm. That's that's a little much. But who do you think this year could have, uh, you know, from the second or third team, move up into uh, you know the kind of the first round territory or, or outplay their projection because Langoliers, I, I'm not talking about him. He's yeah. already in the top ten. Somebody that, that's going. I figured Langoliers wouldn't yeah. count. So uh, <laughs> this won't surprise you at all, Teddy, when I, I say this person. But but my pick is also a third team third baseman, similar to India last year. Uh, he's a guy that has pedigree coming out of high school, similar to India. He's a guy who's hit. Uh, he's he's jumped into a role immediately since his freshman year, and he's handled it just fine. I think if you compare his numbers to India's, his freshman and sophomore season, um, they are comparable. Uh, this guy's might even be a little bit better. And the guy I'm referring to is uh, Arizona third baseman Nick Quintana. He's a guy who... I Vegas, mean, baby. We've we followed him for a long time coming out of high school. Coming out of high school, uh, he could have been as high as a third-round pick, third, second, or first-round pick, depending on what he did. Ended up getting into campus. Uh, Arizona's... Glad for that, but he hit 313, 413, 592 last season with 14 home runs. I think entering uh, India's junior year, he had hit a combined 10 home runs from his freshman to sophomore year, and then obviously he broke out in a big way uh, and had a career high in home runs. But Quintana has already shown that power. I think India is probably a little bit more versatile defensively as well, which helped him, but really. India just showed that he was a fantastic hitter in the best conference. Quintana obviously is playing in the, playing in the Pac-12, so he won't be able to go up against SEC pitching on a regular basis. But when you look at his kind of complete track record of hitting, his power production, I think his summer numbers, while not as good as his uh, Pac-12 numbers, are also comparable to Jonathan India's. The one thing with him is if he can continue cutting down the strikeouts, I think he could be poised for a jump this year. He struck out 21% of the time his freshman year, cut that down to 18%. I believe Jonathan India struck out 18% uh, during his draft year. So if he continues hitting for power, um, I don't see any reason why he can't jump up this list. I, I think another guy I would have talked about here is Drew Mendoza, who just missed out on the team, but I think has a lot of similar qualities to Nick Quintana. They're very different size-wise, profile-wise, but Nick Quintana is my pick. Who are you going with? I do love both Quintana and Mendoza. I, I'm looking at more. I'm looking at some outfielders, and I guess my official pick is Dominic Fletcher at Arkansas. Mm-hmm. He's one of the two true center fielders on these teams. He's a, he's a second teamer, uh, and I, I just think that he's one of the better defensive outfielders in the country. Mm-hmm. And when we start looking at like who's playing premium positions, you know, he hits for power. 
He's a pretty good runner. He's maybe not the blazing speed that a lot of teams are looking for in center field. I don't want to say he's a Jackie Bradley type, but he's a Jackie Bradley type. <laughs> and I, he's a little smaller, but he packs a lot of punch in, into his bat. And mm -hmm. last year, he was a little up and down. I think he finished the season pretty well. If he can be a little more consistent this year, get back to producing the kind of numbers he did as a freshman, I think that he kind of shoots up draft boards this mm -hmm. year. That's a guy that... Uh, you know, everyone's going to see he's perform. You know, he'll be doing it at Arkansas. The the stage is pretty big there, mm -hmm. and they're very familiar with already. He was on U Team USA this summer, uh, so I, I just think a lot of the ingredients are there that if he can put together a pretty big season, that that guy plays his way up draft boards. Mm -hmm. The other one I'll mention is Will Robertson at Creighton. He's a guy that I think flew really under the radar, definitely until last spring, and I think even into the summer. I think that that's a Cape breakout. He he hit really well on the Cape. He has a fair amount of power. Playing at Creighton in TD Ameritrade Park is going to suppress that a little bit, just because we all know how much of a pitcher's park that plays as, mm -hmm. especially when it's cold. When he's going to be playing most of his games there in Omaha, uh, but they can see the the scouts can see the raw power, and I, he's a guy that's going to grow into it more. He just has a really good feel for hitting. Mm -hmm. He is a corner guy, but I think that you know right now we're not necessarily looking at him as maybe a true day one pick, and I, I think when all is said and done, he, he can play his way uh, you know to that level. Yeah, no, I like those picks as well. Those are our preseason All-America teams. Remember, you can check those out at BaseballAmerica.com, but the fun does not end here, although it does with Carlos. <laughs> I have an interview that I did with Joe Healy uh, with J.J. Bleday, who is a – Preseason first team All American. We did not talk about JJ much, but Carlos, uh, what's uh, what's kind of the JJ Blade scouting report, real quick? Yeah, so you can get a full scouting report if you go check it out online. But he's just got a very impressive two year uh, track record with Vanderbilt, all around profile, really really impressive, smooth left handed swing. He's got plus raw power. If you can tap into that a little bit more this year, he'll shoot up draft boards a little bit. Patient approach. He's been gap to gap uh, in the past, but just a very good hitter. I mean, he's one of these hitters that that you kind of look at. Maybe he doesn't have anything that really wows you when you look at his profile, but kind of the all-around package is very impressive, um, and he might be one of the best hitters in the class when you get outside of the Andrew Vaughns, Adley Rutschmans. I mean, we, I, the name Trevor Larnick has been thrown around with J.J. Bluday. I've been mm -hmm. responsible for that as well, <laughs> and that's a lot to put on him. Like we're talking about with India, you don't want to put that kind of breakout on anyone, yep. but you look at what Bluday is, and you look at what Larnick is, and... Blade honestly has had a better career to this point than Larnick did to, to that point. So what also is impressive with me about Blade is when you look at his power numbers with a wood bat, it's actually a little bit more impressive mm -hmm. than what he's what he's done with metal. So I think that is kind of um, exciting for him moving forward and kind of looking and projecting what his pro career could be moving down the line. But no, he's definitely a fun one, um, and, I, and I'll let you. Keep yeah, I mean, talking about and it. if he if he taps into that power this spring, mm -hmm. I mean, you're looking at he's already probably in the first round. Definitely in the conversation, he's probably going to end up there. Mm -hmm. uh, but with a little more power this spring, maybe he moves into inside the top 20 yeah. picks. Uh, 65 walks to 49 strikeouts over his career in the SEC. That's it's impressive. It's very impressive. And this is a really good hitter. He is. And, and he, he's, uh, he's very cerebral, as you might expect from a, a Vanderbilt kid. And I think that comes across in the interview. But the, the, uh, the one last thing I'll say about Bladé is that 
Vanderbilt would love for him to show more power this year. Mm-hmm. But the player that he is already, uh, you know, that guy can anchor Vanderbilt's lineup. But if he hits for more power, you know, they're the number one team in the country for a reason. But if Blade takes a step forward, that lineup becomes that much scarier yes. because he he could really be a, a, a run producer uh, for them in a in a really big way there for the Commodores. So let's get to that interview with JJ Blade uh, with me and Joe Healy. Today on the Baseball America College podcast, we welcome in Vanderbilt right fielder J.J. Blade. J.J. is coming off of a pretty solid sophomore season for Vanderbilt and an impressive summer uh, up on the Cape. He's a big part of why Vanderbilt's ranked number one in the Baseball America preseason top 25, and uh, MLB scouting directors voted him a first-team preseason All-American. So, J.J., thank you for joining us today on the Baseball America College podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. So I guess let's just start with the fact that opening day is only a few weeks away. Just how excited are you to, uh, to crank things up here? Oh, I'm really excited. I mean, uh, I think this team has a lot to offer. And, uh, you know, it, it's glad that a lot of these guys came back. And it's just fun being around them, you know, on and off the field. There's been a lot of preseason hype uh, already for Vanderbilt. And uh, we've been a part of that here, here at BA, uh, ranking you guys number one. But... How are you approaching that, and how has uh, Tim Corbin kind of talked with you guys about how he wants uh, the team to handle that? You know, it, it's a tremendous honor, and you know, he, he um, um, you know, he tries to handle it with like, you know, there's always going to be a target on Vanderbilt's back, and you, you got to embrace it, you know, and take it as an opportunity to, to to not prove anyone wrong, but just to go about your business professionally, and um, you know, and and be a good role model. Um, you know, on and off the field and just try and em- embrace each other and, um, and, and worry about the moment and, um, you know, what this game has to offer and, you know, what, what we all have to offer to each other. So that's, that's been the main recognition behind that. We don't really focus too much on the rankings, you know. That, that, that sort of comes on its own. All, all we're really worried about is just playing and, uh, you know, enjoying the process and enjoying, enjoying the season. I imagine a big part of kind of staying grounded and staying focused is, is being around a group of guys you like and staying loose. So I'm curious, who in your locker room is that guy or group of guys that keeps things loose? Who are those leaders that help keep you guys focused and grounded in a season like this where you do have a high level of expectation? Oh, I, I would say definitely our, our, um, our seniors like Julian Infante, Stephen Scott, Patrick Raby, and, th- and then you got, you know, you get a mix of the younger guys like uh, Austin Martin, uh, Pat DeMarco, um, Jason Gonzalez. You know, it, it's a good it's a good balance between upper guys and, and, and uh, lower classmen to, uh, and, and it just it creates a lot of good vibes and a lot of good energy, uh, you know, throughout throughout the locker room on the field. JJ, you guys had uh, a really solid 2018 season. You won the Clemson Regional. You host uh, the Supers, and um, that was really kind of a, a wild Super Regional, a classic game three with with Mississippi State. But ultimately, it was you guys on the short end of it. Has that have you guys put that in the past, or do you use that as motivation this year? How are you? How how has that um, you know been uh, among this this team? I'd say a little bit of both. You know, um, I mean, it was it was an unbelievable series, and for me personally, it, it was like the best base, baseball I've ever been a part of my my career. And um, you know, it, and at the same time, you know, it's in the past. So uh, you know, we're, we're taking this motivation absolutely. Um, you know, we were we were a game away from you know making it to Omaha, and uh, you know that stung a little bit. Uh, but at the same time, you know we're going to use it, um, you know, to motivate and to, to get better, 
and you know to uh to, to have that experience for the younger guys and take it with us with the summer you spent uh just recently on the cape i'm you hear a lot of different reasons why folks enjoy the Cape experience, whether that's the players or the coaches or, you know, even just yeah. the fans around those programs. I'd like you to take us back to your experience on the Cape, and I'm curious what your favorite part of that was and then what your big takeaway, if you if you look back on that experience 15, 20 years from now when, when you're done playing the game, what do you think you'll remember about having that experience? Well, I think I'll remember the most is definitely, you know, the host families and, um, um, my team and, you know, the atmosphere at the games each night, you know, but also the competition uh, facing on a daily basis. I think that was probably one of the most memorable because, you know, you're facing um, unbelievable talent and, um, you know, playing in some of the best atmospheres, um, you know, in, in an amateur collegiate baseball league. And it's just, it's just fun to be a part of and fun to uh, embrace on a daily basis. And, um, you know, you're making yourself better. And um, you're just uh, you're learning so much in the process of doing so, whether it be from other players or you know the coaches you're with uh, throughout your throughout your time out there. Was there something when you went out there? Was there was there something for someone who's an accomplished player like yourself? I'm always curious about this. Was there something that you went out on the on the Cape to kind of work on? Was there something that kept you up at night a little bit about that you needed know you needed to get better at, or was it just kind of more about that level of competition and getting getting some more abs before the fall? I think it was more level of competition and, you know, just um, working on, like, small details of my game, whether it be controlling the count at the plate or uh, getting better routes in the outfield or even better jumps around the bases and improving my base running. I'd say it was just more small details and really trying to get the reps in the at-bats against the competition to uh, to uh, to up your game. You know, JJ, you talk about the, you know, the, the level of competition on the Cape. Obviously, you also face a high level in the SEC who do you think is the best pitcher that, that you've faced so far in your college career? Ooh, that's a tough one. Besides uh, our fellow Vandy boy Kyle Wright <laughs> and fall ball games, I'd probably say uh, Clark Schmidt or um, Tanner Houck, I believe. So those two guys had a good presence on the mound, and they had pretty good you know, um, high-velocity fastballs and um, phenomenal off-speed pitches like a slider or, or their changeup. But uh, Clark Schmidt's slider, I remember, was uh, – it was pretty. It was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, those are those are two good ones for sure. Um, you also like your older brother Adam is a pitcher, uh, and he he pitched a pen and then in the Astros organization for a couple seasons. Um, who won those battles between you and him growing up? Well, I mean, since I was younger and I was <laughs> uh, I was I was smaller than him at the time. He he had me up until probably about eighth grade. And then once I got to high school, I think I started taking the majority of the W's against him on the, uh, whether it be whether it be basketball or ping pong or even you know, um, you know, you know, get hits off him off the mound. <laughs> how much that growing up in a situation like that? I mean, how much do you kind of attribute that to your development? I mean, I, I myself, you know, had you know some, um, you know, older friends, I guess, who kind of pushed me like that growing up. And so I'm curious for you, like, how big do you think that was in your development that you were competing from essentially day one? as a kid against oh. somebody who had that level of skill right along with you. Oh, absolutely huge. I mean, I'm, I'm so blessed that I have a brother and that I have someone to, to do that with because, I mean, he was always, you know, telling me like, hey, man, let's go out and throw in the yard, whether it be 10 minutes before church on a Sunday or in like, you know, negative, you know, five-degree weather outside before we're heading to school. I mean, it, it, just having that um, closeness and that, that desire to get better and just, you know, just to have fun, I think, was probably the most important 
um, for my, you know, my youth and just carrying over up until now. You know, he still throws BP to me. I mean, this off season, he he um, he would still try striking me out, but uh, still he still lost those battles. But you know, he's just uh, he's just always there for me, and he's always there to get better. And just to have that is just it's just a, a huge huge upside. You were a pretty good pitcher in high school as well. I mean, do you miss getting on the mound ever? Um, I do miss that. You know that you know you, you can get the jitters, but you know you you love that adrenaline rush. But hitting just more fun, and for some reason you just you. For me, I just don't in more on at the plate more than I do on the mound. So I don't really miss it as, as much as I do or as much as I used to. Teddy, unless you have a, uh, another specific baseball question, I think I'm going to uh, get to a little, something a little more, uh, a little more uh, off, off the beaten path here with the food questions. Um, JJ, you've been in Nashville a couple of years now. I'm curious if uh, you've developed a, a couple of uh, food spots in Nashville that you prefer. I know there's tons of shoes from it's a great food town but i'm oh, curious yeah. in the time you've had if you've if you've uh eyed a couple that uh stand out for you well my favorite breakfast place is definitely fido and i'm pretty sure taylor swift goes there a lot but i'm pretty sure she's <laughs> undercover if, if she does go in there so i don't recognize her and then um mcdougal's is a good chicken place hattie b's hot chicken another good chicken place and then the uh for a little barbecue, I know my dad and my family love the peg leg porker or uh, Martin's barbecue. So I'd say I'd say that authentic southern uh, cuisine. I think that's probably top notch down here. So you you are a hot chicken guy compared to just like maybe like your traditional fried chicken? Because I'm not sure Correct. that I'm a hot chicken guy. Correct. I love hot chicken. Were you that way before you went to Nashville? No, I wasn't. Um, you know, I, I never really liked sweet tea or any of that or fried chicken or a lot of fried food. But, you know, now that I've been living here for the past three years, I think it's, uh, the, you know, my, my older teammates have definitely got me on it. I mean, the, you, you talk about the, the, the way your older teammates have kind of helped you in that way. And, and the whole environment around Vanderbilt is, is pretty interesting in that you mentioned Kyle Wright and he come, you, you have all these big leaguers that come back. Just what is that? Um, you know, family atmosphere, I guess, for lack of a, a better phrase. What, what, what is that like around the team? Do you guys, you know, go out to dinner or, or what, what's that like? Um, I, I, yeah, we do grab a bite to eat. Like, I was just with Connor Kaiser, you know, last week. And um, I just at Chipotle having, you know, a normal conversation, asking him about, you know, baseball and, you know, non-baseball things. But I'd say it's, it's a huge resource to have here. And that's why guys keep coming back and because you know it's that family atmosphere and they're always feeding off one another with information and you know they're just they have that connection that you know no other team really has and it's just it's just unbelievable to have an experience because like i said the resources you got if you ever have a question or need tips or anything like that you know they're there to help you out a little bit or just you know um you know work some minor details but you know they're just they're just good good people to talk to and um you know, I'd say that's really about it. Well, we'll get you out of here on, on this one, JJ. Just what are your goals for the season, and, and what, it, what do you think a successful season looks like for the Commodores? Um, I, I don't really have any personal goals besides, you know, just um, just winning ball games for, uh, um, for the team and helping out the team. And I think uh, the same goes for the team concept as well. You know, we, we hone in on this stuff at the beginning of the year, you know, building our foundation and, uh, and really um, – taking care of the little things on the field and off the field. And uh, I'd say we're right now we're just focused on, you know, getting better on a daily basis and uh, just focused on winning games and, 
um, setting ourselves for a good opportunity to, uh, to, to make it far in playoffs and, and um, get, get to Omaha. I have a feeling that's an answer Tim Corbin would love. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, We really appreciate you taking the time here today to, to join us here on the Baseball America podcast, JJ. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. No problem. All right. Thank you again to JJ Blade. Thank you to Carlos. Thank you to Joe. I've been Teddy Cahill here on the Baseball America College podcast. Remember to check out uh, all of our college preview content. It'll be in the magazine, which should be coming soon to subscribers, uh, or you can check it out over at baseballamerica.com. Uh, there's a lot of great stuff there, and you know the the season is coming soon. So make sure to bookmark it, subscribe, do whatever you got to do to uh, to make to get it into your habit to keep coming back uh, all spring long. And also remember to subscribe to the Baseball America podcast on your favorite podcast app. Rate us, review us. The algorithms love that. Uh, it's a great way for, to help other people uh, find the podcast if you enjoy it. Do us a favor and, and uh, drop five stars on it if you can and if you feel like we've earned it. We'll be back here with the Baseball America College podcast next week. I'll be back with uh, Dave Serrano and Joe Healy then it'll be uh, just about opening day at that point. So we'll have plenty to talk about then. So thank you for listening. I've been Teddy Cahill.